You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright, the power to create a happier, healthier life drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected, a place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful Southern California. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, due to my recent travels to New Orleans and back, I have been a bit under the weather, should we say. I've been working to build up my immune system, and thank goodness I have the right herbs to do it with. But it still takes time to get the immune system up to where it was prior to the cruise. So special attention to raising your immune system is huge. Well, especially for me. So this week, I am replaying one of my favorite shows that features Dr. Joe Dispenza. What Dr. Joe says is really amazing and worth listening to several times. Before we dive into that, though, I just wanted to mention that I received a phone call from an old friend who heard my last show talking about my plane ride and the fact that it took me three days to get home. She laughed, but she also wanted to remind me of something that completely skipped my 3D frame of mind and the reason why I got to the place where I had to jump off that plane. She reminded me because, well, thank goodness, she's a fellow empath. So for many of you who may not know, I am an empath. I can feel others' emotions when they come into close proximity. And yes, I am a bit intuitive, especially with animals. It's much easier for me to communicate with animals because they have a less higher frequency of emotions that really can affect me. Well, my friend wanted to remind me that being on that plane that was filled with so many people. It kind of was like being packed like a can of sardines, to be exact. And that just meant there was no escaping those high-powered emotions of fear. Everyone on that plane from New Orleans was experiencing fear, including the flight attendants. To not experience that would have indicated another mental state. So she reminded me that for an empath, to not be overwhelmed with the fear compounded by all those people experiencing the exact same thing would have been totally ignoring an empath's ability. During that flight, when we were flying in circles over Corpus Christi, I was completely overwhelmed by the emotions of everyone on that plane. There was nothing I could do but just to succumb to that fear. And it was incredibly overwhelming. During this phone call, I had, I really had to stop and think about this. 
how did I not recognize this? Of course, it made all the sense of the world to me now, but when those big waves of emotions hit me, it was like, if I don't get off this plane, I am not going to survive. It was totally compounded by a hundred times. Truth is that those waves of emotions literally made me ill for the last two weeks. I couldn't do a thing. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I just slept and slept and slept. My body needed to recuperate from such an incredible episode. This made me think about all of those who can't block out those emotions like me. There are so many on the planet. So I am here to tell you that you're not crazy. You do what you have to to remove yourself from that kind of a situation. Emotions can make empaths extremely sick. So did I feel foolish in walking off that plane and renting a car to go to all the way to San Antonio? Oh yeah, I really felt foolish. But looking back, I did the right thing for my personal survival. Being an empath is a blessing, and yet it is a huge curse. It can be extremely overwhelming. The first responsibility you have is to get to a better place of feeling. For me, it was walking off that plane, and it was the right move. An expensive one, but it was the right move. Well, I thank my friend for reminding me, and I just wanted to remind all those empaths out there that you have to do what you have to do to survive. Don't be embarrassed. Just know that you are extremely sensitive to others' emotional energy, and you feel things more than the average Joe. That makes you, you. That's what makes you a gift to the world. You are okay just the way you are. And even though it's a little embarrassing sometimes, that's okay. Now, let's take a fast commercial break and we'll be right back with this incredible episode featuring Dr. Joe Dispenza. We'll be right back. Are you ready for a healthy 2019? Well, if you are, I've got an easy way to heal anything that ails you, and it's all from Mother Nature. If you're suffering from constant stress or issues with menopause, prostate, respiratory problems, IBS, psoriasis, and eczema, or even sleep issues, then Mother Nature's miracles are waiting for you. I know this works because I have resolved my health issues in 2018 using Dr. Todi Camancho Herbal Tinctures, and I have never felt better. These herbal products really do work. Instead of using toxic medications, try these organic herbal products and you will experience some amazing outcomes that Mother Nature intended since the beginning of time. Go to drtonycamacho.com to buy pre-made tinctures or to set up a consultation in which she can make a tincture specifically for your ailment. 
go back to Mother Nature and Dr. Tony Camacho. Visit drtonycamacho.com. That is D-R-T-O-N-I-C-A-M-A-C-H-O.com. I hope you'll join me in welcoming Dr. Joe Dispenza. Welcome, Dr. Joe, to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I am so honored to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you also, Jules. You have, um, of course, been in the movie What the Bleep, and I remember you so well, as I'm sure the rest of the listening audience. But you are also a best-selling author, and you have a brand new book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Well, I've read this book, and it is phenomenal, but it's like a textbook because you have all of these graphs and everything that talk about the brain, and it's so informative. So why did you decide to go into such detail? Why is it necessary for us to understand what's going on in our brain? Well, I think that science has become the contemporary language of mysticism. I think science is a way to describe the supernatural now. You know, uh, if we start talking about religious texts or tradition or culture, we start excluding individuals. And the research now that's being done about empowering individuals, a new science of neuroplasticity and the concept of epigenetics and the quantum model of reality really is a way to empower people to understand what's possible. But it's it, not only is this a time in history that people want to know, I think more importantly, people want to know how. So when you begin to understand uh, how things work and the reasons for the way your brain functions, you're, you're more prone to apply them in your life and see measurable changes. And when you see those measurable changes, you're more apt to repeat the process again and again. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And you go into uh, details about the health of the mind. I thought that was fascinating because you're giving details of how the brain can rejuvenate, right? And how it can go into being diseased. Absolutely. I mean, we're either in a state of growth and repair or we're in a state of emergency or we're in a state of breakdown. And for most people, the majority of people in this culture live their lives reacting or responding to the environment. So the environment, the external world is controlling for the most part, how we think and feel. And if the environment is uh, dominating our thoughts and our feelings, then we're victims to the external world. And if we believe that our thoughts have anything to do with our destiny, then as long as we react to everything familiar in our life, we keep creating more of the same in our life. So what we're talking about in the, in the book, Breaking the Habit, is how to actually change the way we think and feel inside of us to produce some result outside of us. So going from the Newtonian model of reality, where people are living and reacting to the external world and being angry and frustrated and hateful and judgmental and envious and jealous and fearful and insecure and anxious and suffering and painful and hopeless, those are primarily the emotions that are driven by the hormones of stress, which are an emergency state. Now, the short term is, is that all organisms can handle short-term stress, but no organism in nature is designed for long-term stress. And it's those hormones of stress that keep knocking the brain and body out of balance, which begins to create disease. So the, the, the result of that over time is that we keep doing the same things, thinking the same thoughts, reacting emotionally in the same way, and really expecting something different to show up in our life. 
The new model says that we can literally shut out the environment and change our inner state and create a level of coherence, a level of balance in the brain and body that is now greater than the environment. And we can change the brain and body to look like the event has physically already occurred. Now, it's no longer cause and effect, it's now causing an effect. And once people understand that distinction, then there's flourishing, then there's rejuvenation, then there's expansion, then there's health, then there's a, a reorganization of balance in the brain and body. And, and um, we have all the biological machinery to do this. We do, but you describe that it's a multi-process. It's just not going into meditation and and thinking about it. There's a whole bunch of other things to do. That's what I thought was so fascinating about your book. Well, I like to demystify meditation. I mean, the word meditation, the actual translation, the, the symbolic um, uh, interpretation of the word meditation literally means to become familiar with. That's what the word means. So... The process of change, Jules, requires unlearning and relearning. It requires breaking the habit of the old self and reinventing a new self. It requires what we call in neuroscience pruning synaptic connections, just like you prune a fruit tree, and sprouting and growing new connections. It requires unmemorizing emotions that we have stored in our body and then reconditioning the body to a new mind or a new emotion. It's literally going from the past to the future. So if we look at the word meditation... It makes total sense then because in order for us to change, we have to become familiar with our unconscious thoughts. We got to begin to pay attention or notice our unconscious habits and behaviors. And we have to be able to observe those emotions that keep bringing us to a lower denominator. And if we keep observing them by just repetition, we begin to objectify our subjective mind. In other words, if we're looking at our thoughts, our behaviors, and emotions, we're no longer those programs, but we're the consciousness observing them. So the process then, meditation means you've got to know thyself. You have to become aware of those unconscious uh, states of mind and body. Now, the word meditation in terms of flourishing and pruning, uh, sprouting new connections is the same thing. Because as you begin to think in new ways, as you begin to contemplate new ways of being, as you begin to speculate new behaviors, you can literally change your brain to look like the experience has happened. In other words, you're installing the neurological circuitry ahead of the actual event. So now you have the hardware in there to use when you get up in your waking life. So if you keep reminding yourself who you no longer want to be until you become familiar with it, and then you keep reminding yourself who you do want to be. As you remind yourself who you no longer want to be, nerve cells that no longer fire together no longer wire together. You biologically prune away the old self. And as you begin to fire and wire a new level of mind, as you do that in time, you install that circuitry and that becomes the very, the very platform of your destiny. And if you keep repeating it, you'll become familiar with those new thoughts, those new behaviors, and those new emotional states, and that leads you to a new destiny. Because the premise of the book says this, your personality creates your personal reality. And your personality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So it makes sense then that if you wanted to create a new personal reality, a new life, that you'd have to change the thoughts that you think the choices or behaviors that you demonstrate and the emotions that you live by. 
Now, I think that most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality, and that really doesn't work. Right, right. That makes so much sense. So let's break it down a little bit. Say, you, uh, at the beginning of the year, I made a, a resolution to stop being so judgmental because I found that when I'm judgmental, people are judging me. So is that what you mean about understanding what's going on in you so you can rewire that to stop being so judgmental? Okay, well, that's a great place to start. I mean, but the, the psychological model says that by the time we're 35 years old, our personality is a finite set, complete set of memorized behaviors, emotional reactions, habits, and, uh, and attitudes that run like a computer program subconsciously. Okay. So that means then that by the time we're 35 years old, we've conditioned the body to become the mind. We've done something so many times that the body knows as well as the brain. So if the body is the subconscious mind because we've trained it or conditioned it to be that way, then most people are trying to change a state of mind, say judgment, with 5% of their conscious mind, and yet they've memorized so many thoughts, so many behaviors, so many emotions that exist subconsciously. So they, they start out with good intentions, but they return back to the same self because they never got into the operating system of those subconscious programs where they reside. However, if you said to yourself, what are the thoughts that I think that happen in my mind when I'm judgmental? What are, they, what are those exact thoughts? And you wrote them down and you said, oh, I think this. I hear this voice in my head, my head that says this. Uh, I, I notice that I, I feel this way. And you begin to notice how you think, how you act, and how you feel. And you wrote down those states of mind and body. And you memorized that list and began to become familiar with the old self to such a degree that no thought no behavior or no emotion would slip by your awareness that you did not want to experience. You became conscious of those states. And we could say then that in time, as you begin to remove yourself from those programs, you're no longer the program. Now, the first step requires this unlearning process because it's like someone trying to think positively, but they've been feeling negative for the last 25 years. Right. So that's mind and body in opposition. A person says they want wealth in their life, but they feel poor. That's mind and body in opposition. Or, or they, they pray for a new life, but they feel guilty. That's mind and body in opposition. We have to recondition the body to a new mind. So after we begin to become familiar with the old self, that's an unconscious set of programs, the more familiar with it we are, the less likelihood of us returning back to that old self. Now, and when we, do, when we decide what thoughts we do want to think, and we begin to write those down, how would a non-judgmental person think? Well, they probably would just love the person and allow them, be present with them. How would they behave? And you begin to list those. How would they feel? And you begin to move into those states of mind and body every day. Now, not only are you changing the circuits in your brain, but you are now emotionally conditioning your body to become familiar with that new state of being because when mind and body are working together or when our thoughts and feelings are aligned we are in a state of being and that state of being then allows us to memorize an internal order 
that nothing in our external environment can move us from it. Now, that's a sign of mastering something. Wow. That is beautiful. I fully understand that. Oh, good. Fully. I mean, that just makes so much sense. But so how long does it take usually to get that neurons built? Is it true it's 28 days, 38 days? 30 days, or is it longer? It just depends on how deep you go within. Well, I don't think that there's any particular time frame that allows us to change. I mean, it depends on the emotional addictions we have. It depends on how relaxed we are when we do it, how long we do it for, um, uh, if we're doing it properly. There's too many variables to say what it takes to change. Uh, I think that I've seen people change overnight, and I've seen people uh, change, uh, and and it takes them a year. So uh, the the hardest part of all of this, really, is simply making the time to do it. Uh That's it. I mean, making time for our precious selves to retreat from our familiar external life that regulates a set of thoughts and behaviors to reaffirm our identity and begin to think and feel in new ways. And then try it out. If I can maintain this modified state of being my entire day, then something different should show up in my life. That's the law. And if I return back to my old self somewhere during the day, then let me begin to investigate what caused me to react in, this, in, a, in a, a particular way. And let me begin to think about new ways of being so that when the experience comes, I modify my reactions so that I'm moving away from my present life and I'm walking into a new life. So I don't think there's a time frame. I think that it's a really funny concept, but when most people are changing, they're really pretty much resigned to the process of change. So the body is the best mind reader in the world. It's, uh, if you were sitting there and I said to you, Jules, you know, uh, nine out of ten times I want you to fake standing up, but one time I want you to actually stand up, well, the nine times you don't decide to stand up, you have no physiological change in your, in your body. The moment you decide to stand up, actually before you even make the conscious decision to stand up, your body already as a precognitive uh, organism already is aware that you've made that decision ahead of the actual decision. Now, how does that work in the process of change? Well, most people in the process of change, they're sitting on the couch They have the television on, they have their computer to their right, they have their smartphone to their left, they have the remote control in their hand, and they're flipping through the channels and they say, you know, I think I'm going to change tomorrow. And so the body already is so precognitive, it it doesn't get any movement out of its resting state. So the body gets the information and the body says, she's not going to change. Are you kidding me? We already know that she's going to go back to the same person. But if you say... I don't care how long it takes me. I don't care. That's time. I don't care what's going on in my life, environment. I don't care how I feel, body. I'm going to do this. And you make the decision with firm intention. And that decision is an experience that begins to store itself in long-term memory. You're beginning to rewrite the programs in that moment. And the body is the unconscious mind. The servant, the animal, gets a very strong signal, and it says, "Uh uh-oh, she's actually serious this time. Now, most people wait for crisis or trauma or disease or diagnosis or loss to get about changing because we have to reach our lowest denominator, 
We have, the, the ego has to be bruised to such a degree that we can't think the same way any longer. We can't act the same way. We can't feel the same. Personality falls apart, and that's when people finally go, okay, now I'm fractured to such an extent, I better think about who I do want to be. Now, my message is, why wait? You know, that we can learn and change in a state of pain and suffering, or we can learn and change in a state of joy and inspiration. And so the hardest part of this is literally cultivating a new mind and new body every day to begin to take the time out of our lives to begin to ask some profound questions like, what is the greatest expression of myself that I can be today? What do I love about myself that I want to enrich? Um, what no longer serves me that isn't loving to me? What behaviors or choices am I making that are undermining my, my possibilities? And just asking some of those simple questions will begin to cause the brain to work in new and different ways. And whenever you make the brain work differently, you're changing your mind because mind is the brain in action. So if we can remind ourselves every day we produce the same level of mind, we're headed for a new life. You're right. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> Excuse me. I can see that that would work perfectly with the weight loss. Getting that determination, having that food in front of you, boy, that is... You've got to get that determination to carry it through, and that starts everything flowing. Well, if you look at the concept of weight loss, and, you know, I've had the privilege a few times in speaking to organizations where people are interested in a certain level of health or a certain change in their physical body. You know, forget about the weight. I mean, what is the reason that you're overeating to make, why are you, what is the feeling you're trying to make go away? Now, when you start addressing that feeling, because that feeling has become so familiar to you that you think that's who you are, but feelings and emotions are the end product of past experiences. So that's not who you are. That's just a memory from the past that's literally chemically uh, residing. It's a residue from a past experience. So a person may feel unworthy. A person may have self-doubt. A person may be insecure. And so that feeling doesn't go away very easily, but they can eat something or sweets or whatever, and they feel good. And the moment they feel differently inside of them, they pay attention to whatever caused it outside of them. And that event in and of itself is called a memory. So as the person begins to change that level of unworthiness or self-doubt or insecurity, and they begin to unmemorize those emotions then it makes total sense that if you're no longer feeling unworthy or if you're no longer doubting yourself or you're no longer feeling uncertain or insecure, then there's no reason to make that feeling go away. And now you're actually making choices that reaffirm a new state of being. So it's important also to look at those emotional states because that's what's driving the behaviors to, uh, to overconsume in the first place. So you're talking about not only mindfulness, but you're talking about mindfulness with your emotions you have to really get into yourself and really monitor what you're feeling at all times because we're worth it absolutely and and you know mindfulness or what is in neuroscience called metacognition and what that word means is simply that we can pay attention to how we think we can think about how we think we can notice how we act and we can become aware of how we feel and because we have such a large frontal lobe, it allows us to look at who we're being so that we can modify our behaviors in moments, do something differently, make a different choice, create a new experience, choose a new emotion, 
so that we can literally do a better job in life. So here, here we go because by the time we're 35 years old, we've hardwired a set of thoughts. We've hardwired a set of behaviors. We've memorized a set of emotions in our bodies uh, that we think is who we really are. But uh, we're not the record of the past. We are, in fact, a map to the future. And that means that we have to change the brain and body ahead of our, uh, our environment to look like the experiences already happened. Okay, so after age 35, you would think if you're mindful, you could change faster. I mean, I felt a, a great growth between the age of 35 to my current age, which is way over 35. <laughs> this, this is important because... Uh, I, in the book, I talk about this concept called the gap. You know, by the time we're 35 or 45 years old, we pretty much can predict the feeling of every single experience we have in our life. We know what success is. We know what relationships and sexuality and sexual identity is. We know success and failure, pain and suffering, guilt, shame. We pretty much mastered all of those limited states. And so after a period of time, we can look at it, a future event and we can determine how it's going to feel. And if we don't like how it's going to feel, we'll avoid it. So how can the unknown ever show up in our life if we're predicting how an event is going to feel? Because by very nature, that feeling then is a record of the past. And we're literally keep, we keep recreating or choosing the same experience in our life. Now, we reach a point in our life where all of a sudden, you know, we've experienced all of these things and nothing's really making that feeling go away that we've become familiar with that's our identity, you know. And so this is the midlife crisis because now the person is saying, I don't understand love. I don't know what's important to me any longer. I don't want to do these things. Uh, I don't want to keep this facade, this identity, this false ideal going. You know, we create this gap and this is how we appear to the world and this is how we really, really feel inside of us. This is, you know, what we project and we want everybody to believe we are, but what's going on hidden inside of us is emptiness or insecurity or, or, or pain. And so, first 35 years of our life, we can keep this identity going by identifying with the environment. We can go to school, we can make friends, we can move to different places, we can, you know, get education, we can buy cars, we can make new friends, we can get married, we can get divorced, we can buy homes, we can buy pets. And all of that is to really keep this identity going, identifying with the external world. And as we're putting all our attention on the external environment, we don't really have to feel this feeling because we're too distracted by the external world. Well, by 35 or 45, all of a sudden, this feeling starts to creep up a little bit more. And certain people start to look at this feeling and they start to say, uh, I don't love you because I don't even know what love is. Um, what, who, what, what, you know, what is God? What is our meaning in life? Why am I doing all of this? Why, who am I doing it for? Yeah. And they start looking down at this feeling and this is the midlife crisis. This is where people all of a sudden start to break their emotional contracts and emotional bonds with everybody in their life and they start telling the truth. And everybody up here who's using them for their own emotional addictions to reaffirm their identity all of a sudden thinks that this person is losing their mind. And in effect, they are losing their mind. And what they're really saying is, is that I don't want to keep all of this going because this is like spinning plates. And this is where people all of a sudden start to fall down to this point. Now, some people authentically reach that emotional state and they begin to look at who they've been and they begin to make changes. 
Other people, they go to the doctor, the doctor gives them Prozac, and boom, they return back to the same person, reaffirming their same identity. Other people, they try to re-identify with their environment. They buy the sports car, they mm-hmm. buy the boats, uh, they join the new social club, they go on vacation, uh, they, they try to have new relationships. All of that is to try to create a novelty or a newness to really make this feeling go away. But when the novelty wears off, here comes this feeling again. And this gap is defined by the emotions that we've memorized from past experiences that we've become addicted to. Now, true change doesn't happen by trying to create a new identity outside of us. True change happens when we begin to unmemorize those emotions and close the gap between how we appear and who we are. Now, when how we appear is who we are and we have that level of transparency, every time we unmemorize an emotion, that emotion is releasing energy. And that energy now is available energy that people get to use to create a new destiny with. In other words, when the body is freed from the chains of those emotional addictions, the body is liberated from that emotional constraint of believing that it's living in the past. The moment that happens, there's energy that goes from the body into the field. And that energy now is now energy to create a new destiny with. And that's when people begin to make measurable changes. Wow, that's powerful. Wow. Terrific. I love it. I love it. Now, let's talk about some of your workshops because I know you have a bunch coming up. But in your workshops, do you go through all this? Do you help people to release or to get to that place where they can get this new energy? Absolutely. I mean, uh, after I was in What the Bleep and after I wrote my first book, uh, I think one of the common feedback uh, responses that we got was, well, really great information. Yeah, we understand the science, and now we know it's possible, but can you tell us how to do it? You know, how do we do this? And so we started teaching these workshops pretty much around the world with the intention of showing people um, how, how to actually apply these things and how to make those changes. And so the workshops are designed specifically to give people the necessary information and then give them the tools to begin to apply it to their life. And so um, we've had amazing successes with a lot of people in terms of changing their health, creating the things they want in their life, and um, <clears throat> you know, making, making some really substantial changes for themselves. Yeah, I read in the book that you even had a, um, uh, a person won a lottery ticket. Yes, yeah, that was a pretty amazing experience. And that's, we've had a few other people win the lottery, too, uh, which is, you know, if that's where your intention is, that's great. Uh, but we've also had a lot of people that were diagnosed with pretty serious health conditions. And when they began to understand that the same emotional state keeps signaling the same gene in the same way, and that the body's the unconscious mind, and it doesn't know the difference between an experience in your life that produces an emotion and an emotion that you fabricate by thought alone. To the body, it believes it's in the same experience. And by living by long years of resentment or long years of judgment or long years of rage or anger or fear, the body actually believes it's in the same conditional state 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. And it's that redundancy that begins to push the genetic button that creates disease. When people begin to understand that when they can overcome those states and then recondition the body to a new state of mind, 
that in time we've seen diseases like uh, MS and cancer and lupus and uh, Hashimoto syndrome and chronic pain and um, depression, insomnia just literally change because the body is no longer uh, uh, believing that it's in the same environmental conditions. So we're pretty pleased to see that uh, that there are really great things happening uh, because of this. And so when we started getting the feedback that we were getting with all of these breakthroughs, it was a really strong and monumental moment in my career because I understood now that that it was I was actually making a difference, making a substantial difference. And, and I think I'm the happiest uh, and the most overjoyed when I'm contributing and, and uh, uh, people are actually uh, doing it. So it's been wonderful. Wow, wow, wow. Your workshops. I've got to go to one. Tell me about the meditation. Is meditation all about blanking out your mind, pausing your mind, or are we... Give me that detail. Well, uh, we can talk about meditation with some of the latest technology. And and, um, when you and I are in a conversation like this and we're chatting... Our brainwave patterns are are in a state of wakefulness. In other words, as you and I are discussing this information, if we were to look at at an electroencephalographic reading of our brains, our brains would be in what's called a beta state. In other words, our neocortex would be firing information, and it it would be trying to integrate all the information that we're talking about, everything in the external world, with what's going on inside of us. So... When we're functioning in beta, the outer world is more real than the inner world. Now, that's important for us because we function in three dimensions or four dimensions, and we have to keep our attention on the outer world. Now, when we react to things in our life, stressful situations in our life, our brain goes from what's called a low level of beta, that we're just hanging out and relaxing and talking, to a mid-range beta, which is a little bit more vigilant, all the way to a high-range beta where you're overly analytical, you're overly focused, your brain is in a very incoherent state, you're in emergency mode, and no new information can enter into your nervous system that isn't equal to the emotion that you're experiencing. So in that state, you don't want to learn, you don't want to grow, you don't want to have ideas or create long-term building projects because you're in emergency. And in emergency, you're not interested in uh, growth and repair. You're interested in the immediate moment and, uh, and the emergency that's related to it. Now, when you're in that state, you're pretty much in an analytical mode of thinking. You're always evaluating the next moment based on the past moment. You're thinking in polarity, good and bad, success and failure, right and wrong, positive and negative, because the brain is divided in half. We're constantly doing that. When you close your eyes and you begin to eliminate the external environment and your brain is no longer processing anything visually, 80% of our input comes from our our sight, our spatial orientation, the moment we begin to eliminate uh, the external environment, we play soft music in the background and we're not hearing ambient sounds, the neocortex isn't thinking or putting its attention on the external world any longer. And it begins to slow down its, its processing. It becomes less analytical. And the moment that happens, we move into what's called an alpha state. And in alpha, according to the research, the inner world is more real than the outer world. In other words, what you're thinking about or dreaming about seems to be more real than the external environment. Now, this is an important place to be because this is when you begin to move from the conscious mind through the analytical mind 
into the operating system of the subconscious where all those habits and behaviors and programs exist. Now, when we move into this alpha state, we have periods where we lose track of time and space. Because as the frontal lobe begins to process new information and you're attending to one idea or one concept, it doesn't want to be distracted by all the extraneous stimulation. So it acts like a volume control. And it begins to lower the volume in the circuits of the rest of your brain that are connected to the environment, that are connected to your body, that are connected to time. And if there's no brain activity in those areas of... Uh, uh, different regions of your brain to process your body, environment, and time, then you are no body. You are no thing. You are no time. Now, this state of dissociation, this moment where you become nothing, is the moment you are becoming pure consciousness. And when you're living in those emergency states, you're over-focused on your body. You're over-focused on your external environment, and you're obsessing about time. And you begin to define reality with your senses. We become materialists. We begin to focus on the very small portion of the atom instead of on the possibilities of the atom. Now, if an atom is 99.99999% nothing possibility and 0.000001% particle or, or physical material, that when we're living in emergency or by the hormones of stress, we're focusing on the particle and we're missing the waves of possibility. When we move into this elegant state of creation, when we become no body, no thing, no time, and we have all the machinery to do this, that moment where you are focusing on nothing, you forget about yourself, you forget about your problems, you forget about your relationships, your kids, your dogs, your husband, your wife, your problems, your, your, what you do for a living, you're no longer uh, processing that same level of mind that keeps your reality the same. That's the moment you move into the quantum field. So you can't enter the quantum field as a somebody. You have to enter as a nobody. You have to enter as pure consciousness. Now, when you enter in this state of pure consciousness, that's the moment we have dominion over the body. That's when we can begin to change something in our environment. That's when we can alter time in some way. And so because we have all this uh, neurological machinery to do it, uh, it means then that we clear the slate of living in the past, becoming completely present in the moment. Now, most people, when they hit this point, they think, I arrived at this place and because there's an elevated emotion that comes with it. And that elevated emotion that begins to come up with it is that come up means that we're no longer thinking certain thoughts that make certain feelings, and those feelings drive the same thoughts that create the same feelings. And the majority of those feelings are derived in the hormones of stress, our survival centers, our sexuality, our digestion, our power and control and importance and fear and guilt. If you're no longer firing the same circuits in your brain that are making the same chemicals, you've, you've really vacated biologically. Those, that energy has to go somewhere, and it has to move out of those survival centers, and it moves up into the heart on the way to the brain and you begin to fall in love with the present moment. You begin to feel free. You begin to feel like there's possibility. You feel like you're connected to something. You feel like you're seeing things that you never examined before. And this liberation of energy is literally the body moving from the past to the present. Now, most people stop there because it's such an amazing feeling. 
And what it is, is it's that a divine consciousness that we're connected to beginning to bleed out of us. It's beginning to move through us. It's beginning to consume us. And I call that the natural state of being. Now, once you get into that natural state of being and you feel so amazing, why not use those emotions and that energy to create a new destiny? So in our meditations, we don't just say move from the past emotions that we've that have become part of our identity into nothing in the present. We say, now that you're in the present, we've just cleared the chalkboard. We've just wiped the board clean. Now you have available energy to create a new future with. So how do, who do you want to be? And begin to design who you will be. Create a new personality because a new personality is ultimately going to lead you to a new personal reality. Wow. That is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I've got to show everybody your book because this is the book right here that you've got to get, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and his uh, your website is drjoedispenza.com. Yeah, we try to keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> Good, drjoedispenza.com. You got to go. You got to check out his workshops, his seminars buy this book you're gonna love it love it love it this has been a brilliant interview thank you so much dr joe thank you jules i hope to have you back again are you writing another book oh my gosh that's just like giving birth and asking if you're gonna have another kid <laughs> <laughs> women do it all the time <laughs> i know i know well here's the here's the truth i mean the book went to um it went to number nine on Amazon in less than a week and number one on the bestseller list there for motivational books. And, um, wow, our website crashed five times in one week, and we had all these technical problems. And, yeah, and I kept telling my staff these are good problems to have. But um, we're just raising this uh, baby right now, and I have a couple ideas for a new book uh, somewhere down the line, but I'm certainly not going to rush in uh, into writing it. I'm I'm happy uh, to contribute uh, this information right now, and let's see where it takes us. Oh, it's beautiful information. Something, you know, this really fills in the gap for the law of attraction. So I thank you very much, and I do consider you a blessing to this world. So thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Jules, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. And to all my wonderful listeners, I'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great show from Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to jules at loaradionetwork.com and have a great week.